BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. If there's one single policy that's defined American life for the last 75 years, it's been the promotion of home ownership. First as a way out of the depression, then as an anti-communist tactic and more. Homeowners get preferential tax treatment, loans backed by the government, but what about the renters? In the Bay Area's big cities, between 45 and 60-something percent of people rent, but only three out of 80 state assembly members don't own a home. Those three lawmakers are starting a renter's caucus in the state assembly, and they'll join us this morning in the studio to talk about what they think can help tenants. It's a show about renters, landlords, and the ongoing housing crisis. That's all coming up next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. There are a lot of ways to think about how power is split up and wielded in our state. North versus south, coastal versus inland, big cities versus less dense places. You might think about people's political allegiances by age or class or race, ethnicity, immigration status. And for a lot of these groupings, you'd find quite organized lobbies and institutions to further the interests of those people. There is also a divide between people who own homes and those who don't. Certainly the mortgage, real estate, and landlord industries, representing at least in part the interests of homeowners, have serious political clout in Sacramento and at the local level. Who speaks for the renters, though? California has a higher percentage of renters than every state but New York. So three California assembly members, the only assembly members who are solely renters, are forming a caucus and thinking about how to push the policies that would help renters in the state, All three of them join us this morning. We've got Alex Lee, who's a member of the California State Assembly, representing Santa Clara, Milpitas, Fremont, Newark, and a small portion of Western San Jose. Welcome, Assemblymember Lee. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We've also got Assemblymember Isaac Bryan, who represents uh, much of South Central Los Angeles and pieces of the West Side as well. (laughs) Welcome, Assemblymember Bryan. Good to be here. And we've got San Francisco's own Matt Haney, a member of the State Assembly, of course, who represents the eastern portion of San Francisco. Welcome. It's great to be with you. So as I understand it, Assembly Member Haney, you're going to be the chair of this three-person caucus. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Much sought-after position, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Each of you has sort of emphasized that there's an imbalance between state lawmakers who own property and those who rent. Why do you think that's really important Well, uh, for so many Californians, there ain't nothing going on but the rent. Uh, Nearly half of Californians are renters. Uh, Over 2 million of those uh, residents uh, can't afford their rent. They are rent burdened. Uh, It's worse for low-income families where 70% of low-income families uh, can't afford their rent. Uh, It got worse during COVID when many people were unable to make income but continued to have their rent bill show up. And so it's top of mind for the people that we represent. Uh, In fact, it's at the very top for many Californians, especially young people and communities of color. So uh, it should be top of mind for their representatives, uh, for the people who are making laws for them. 
And unfortunately, uh, not only do we not have representation with just uh, 2% of the state legislature being renters themselves, but we also see a lack of prioritization, a lack of policymaking to address the important issues like the growing cost of rent, uh, building more housing, and eviction protections. And so we want to come together with the three of us, the <laughs> powerful and mighty three to start, uh, which we hope grows over time, uh, but also uh, to make sure that we can advocate for renters, we can grow their power and voice, uh, hopefully uh, grow this caucus and see uh, more pro-tenant, pro-renter policies uh, meet the needs of Californians. Assemblymember Lee, how big a change do you want to see here? Like, are you do you want to change the way people see home ownership? You know, Germans, for example, much lower home ownership rate. With some cities like Berlin, you know, eighty percent renters and much more social housing. Is that what you're going for? Or are you aiming for more sort of small bore change in the policies that uh, we have here in the state? I think our caucus uh, aims for system wide change. You know, the best scenario in which we have in California is where renting home ownership or anything in between is equal opportunity. It's quite the case of our equal of our developed peers in the world where you can equitably choose between being a renter and have all the options and disadvantage of that or all the options disadvantage of being a homeowner. Uh, and much, many parts of the world where, uh, not like the US where I think everyone seeks to be a homeowner exclusively, you know, there's different trade-offs, right? Certainly you have to stay probably with your place for a long time. It's a big, big investment. And of course you're indebted to a bank instead of indebted to a landlord. It's a different dynamic. But the best case scenario for Californians is that all options are equal to them. And I think that's what we want to level the playing field to make sure that there is that security of housing secure and economic security that homeowners enjoy just as much as renters. Because especially big cities like this in San, uh, in San Francisco and in my city of San Jose, uh, certainly there's a lot more renters and people are accustomed to doing so, but people should not be punished for being long-term renters or uh, as opposed to being long-term homeowners. I think the best case scenario is that we want system change so that every housing opportunity is equal and people get to choose the housing option that best fits themselves. Yeah. You know, Assemblymember Brian, you know, the conversation up here in the Bay Area may be one thing, but what is it like down in Los Angeles? Do you think that there is a chance that people approach homeownership differently uh, in Los Angeles? Or are you, you know, are, is your situation or your you know, role in this caucus a little bit different? I think we all have the same role, right? And it's fighting for the people who uh, are least likely, likely to have representatives fighting for them, right? And so if you're a renter, which nearly half of our state is, and in LA, it's over 54%. It's more than half. You only have three legislators who you know feel the same struggles that you feel who you know at the first of the month are thinking about that rent check, who you know, uh, you know, I moved uh, residents in the middle of my race in my district. I've had four different locations in my district. So I had to come up with first and last month's rent while I was running for office, right? It's incredibly cost prohibitive to run for office, which is why so many renters have been excluded from this process. So to have lawmakers fighting for you, I think is something we share across the state. Now, L.A. is a little bit different. Uh, it's the land of single-family homes <laughs> by design. Uh, we've had leaders uh, and policies put in place to protect kind of the beautiful, sprawling landscape that is Los Angeles. There's a lot of wealth that's been built up in historic black communities like View Park and Baldwin Hills, and we have to be cognizant of what uh, our zoning and planning decisions have meant for communities that were redlined in different parts of the cities but have turned those into thriving enclaves. And so what does that mean as we continue to change and create space for others? But we also have to be mindful of the fact in Culver City, for example, uh, there are more jobs than homes, right, which is a city in, in my district. And so you literally can't work and live in Culver City. Uh, it's not mathematically possible. So we've got a lot of 
work to do. And, and I'm excited that this caucus has come together to really have those conversations across the spectrum of home ownership uh, and renter protections because we can we can do some good work. Yeah. We're talking about a new renter's caucus in the California State Assembly with Isaac Bryan, a member who represents much of South Central Los Angeles and pieces of the West Side. Alex Lee, uh, another member of the California State Assembly, represents Santa Clara, Milpitas, Fremont, Newark, and a small portion of Western San Jose. And Matt Haney, a member who represents uh, the eastern portion of San Francisco. And we want to hear from you. Are you a renter? What kind of tennis rights or protections would help you? And what are your questions and concerns about California's current rental market? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. Matt Haney, you know, California is already considered a pretty tenant-friendly state. So what kinds of renters or what kinds of protections uh, do you think uh, should be added to the things that are, we already have passed in the state? Sure. Well, one, one thing I, I did want to pick up on with my friend from uh, Los Angeles is that one of the things we want to be clear about is that uh, advocating for renters does not mean advocating against homeowners. Uh, these two uh, res- types of, of, of residents are not in conflict. In fact, a lot of the policies that we want to fight for would be beneficial to both. And I think that's been a part of the, the problem where there's some sort of sense that by having more renters or m- more rental housing, that somehow that's hurting homeowners, uh, that there's no evidence of that. And that's not true at all. And in fact, uh, many of the pro-housing policies that would build more housing, similar to what Alex is talking about enhanced protections can also offer benefits to both renters and homeowners. Uh, There's definitely work that needs to be done for renters. Uh, We are seeing right now an eviction tsunami uh, that is post-COVID. Still, many folks have not been able to access those protections and and rental assistance that will allow them to get out of COVID still in their homes. Uh, We need to strengthen those eviction protections. Many uh, renters across the state can actually be evicted for any reason. Mm -hmm. There are no just cause protections. They can just, you know, wake up one day and get an eviction notice. Uh, That has to be changed at a state level. Um, We also have uh, Problems with the Ellis Act and Costa Hawkins, which we may get more into, that uh, prohibit local uh, jurisdictions from being able to put common sense controls on speculation and on massive rent increases. That's something that we need to look at and change. So there are a lot of things that are out there. You know, right now, California may have strong tenant protections uh, as compared to other places, but we still have a huge number of evictions, tenants who live in fear, and the second highest. Uh, rate of rent of any state across the country. And so we have this rent burden, we have these concern and anxiety, and we, we, there's a lot of need for leadership. So, Brian, I mean, how politically feasible do you think the big changes are, like to the Ellis Act or to Cost Hawkins, which, you know, when those things have gone before voters, at least at that kind of prop level, uh, have, have proven to be pretty, pretty unpopular in the state? Yeah, I think you've got to organize, right? You've got to mobilize. Change doesn't just happen or become politically feasible, right? You make it politically feasible. It's going to take narrative work. It's going to take courageous leaders. It's going to take courageous uh, communities rising up. But in the same way that my colleague from San Francisco mentioned, we've got to think intersectionally about this issue. Uh, Over 30 percent of people in Los Angeles who are paying rent are severely rent burning, meaning over half of their discretionary income goes to rent and utilities. Uh, of that group, 65% then cut back on food to then pay the rent. 
right? And so when you're talking about rising cost of living, people are having conversations about the rise in gas and rise of cost at the grocery store. I, it shocks me that we're not talking about the increased cost of living and keeping a roof over your head. For every 15 people we get off the sidewalks, another 17 fall in to homelessness, and it's because of these rent problems. And so I think if people start to piece all of this together, that changes the political narrative. It changes what's possible. And if we center the people who are most impacted by historic bad policy, I think anything is possible. So I'm hopeful. As I remember, Lee, I mean, one of the other interesting things about a renter's caucus is just that there are high-income renters in the state. There are low-income renters in the state. It kind of unites some unlike populations mm-hmm. in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. I think renting, of course, and housing insecurity is a universal aspect. Of course, it burdens those who have the least means the most in our state like this, where we have, high, unfortunately, high cost of rent right now. But I think, you know, building upon what my two colleagues talked about is I think change is going to be very hard. The corporate real estate interests. They fight very, very hard to keep the status quo. Uh, unfortunately, before uh, my colleagues joined me in the state assembly, I put championed even a bill to increase homeownership, um, limiting the, the mortgage interest section on second homes, on second homes. And even then, it was, a, it was a fund to put into for new homeowners. And that bill was killed so quickly by the real estate interest. And that and I, I expressed so confusion. I was like, I thought we want to create more homeowners opportunities, especially amongst people of color. This would be especially that. And like, no, 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 we don't want to do that because we don't want to harm the base of people who obviously can buy more second homes. Yeah. So. We're talking about a new renter's caucus in the California State Assembly with Assembly members Lee, Brian, and Haney. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about a new renter's caucus in the California State Assembly with Assembly Member Alex Lee, who represents Santa Clara, Milpitas, Fremont, Newark, and a small portion of eastern San Jose. Also, the first Gen Z state legislator legislator in California history. Uh, We've also got Isaac Bryan, uh, California State Assembly Member from Los Angeles, and San Francisco's Assembly Member, or eastern portion of San Francisco's (laughs) Assembly Member, Matt Haney. Uh, We're going to get to your calls in just a second, but I wanted to ask you about a couple of kind of specific policies that we were talking about with our uh, one of our housing reporters here, Aaron Baldessari. Um, one is, Matt Haney, there's kind of a movement to use people's rental payment history to uh, as kind of a proxy for credit scores um, to help get underrepresented populations into homes. And there's sort of the Housing Finance Policy Institute has a bunch of research on how this might be helpful. 
Um, do you want to? Is, is that one of the kind of thing that the renters caucus might take on? That is to say, increasing home ownership for renters, or not? Yeah. So uh, you know, as Alex said, we want to make it uh, sustainable uh, and secure to be a renter if that's what you choose to do. So you're not paying over half of your income in rent. But we also know that home ownership is an important way to to build wealth, uh, generational wealth in particular. You know, for young people right now, Gen Z and millennials. They're much less likely to own a home, uh, much more likely to pay a lot more in rent, and that leads to less wealth over, over time. And so we are also looking at two of the most rent burdened and two of the brokest generations uh, because of that. So helping people get into home ownership, helping renters in a way that doesn't discriminate uh, uh, and actually looks at their history in a fair way, I think would be a great way for us to, to advocate. So we want to advocate for renters. But a part of that is to say if folks want to want to become homeowners, there's huge value in that and wealth in that. And so they should have pathways to do that. And is that a state policy, though, that could be put into play? Could you actually help that along? In the- Absolutely. Uh, you know, we are, are planning to uh, put forward a package of bills as a renters caucus. We also want to convene renters and tenant advocate groups from around the state and be a, be a convener and to, to bring to forward research, bring forward ideas. It sounds like this is a great idea that folks are talking about. So uh, as chair, uh, I'll put that on our first agenda <laughs> <laughs> to, to talk about that and, and the many other ideas that have come forward. Uh, Assemblymember, Brian, I wanted to ask you about a, a topic that comes up a lot when we do shows on, on housing, which is the rise in private equity firms that are buying up single-family homes and uh, and renting them out in these kind of big chains. You know, got a, a model that really actually got, got started uh, in the Bay Area as well as other places. Um, is that something you would want to address uh, as the Renters Caucus? Oh, absolutely. And, and thank you, Bay Area, for pioneering that uh, <laughs> and passing it on down. We often talk about uh, kind of tenant-landlord disputes in, in a mom-and-pop mom lens which makes it very difficult to find the righteousness when it's somebody's sole investment property for their retirement and both livelihoods are vested in this relationship working out to the best of its ability. That's not the entire landscape, mm-hmm. right? In fact, right. A, a disproportionate share of it is taken up by Blackstone, Zillow, and others uh, who, who are sweeping up these neighborhoods. Uh, and it's causing increased displacement. It's causing increased gentrification. It's especially harmful in black, uh, brown, poor, and indigenous communities. If you look at Los Angeles, where somebody like Blackstone's footprint is the most immense, you'll see that it is uh, directly in historic South Central Los Angeles. And so we have to be mindful of that. We have to find different ways to curb that. They're also moving through subsidiaries that take a while to track back to the source, right? And so they're getting creative, and legislators have to get equally creative in making sure that the housing landscape remains affordable and equitable. And I think that's definitely something the three of us are looking into. I mean, as part of that package of bills, it seems like some key infrastructure would be landlord registry or mm-hmm. data collection on, you know, you see some of these, like the anti-eviction mapping project in the East Bay here has done so much work to try and figure out who actually owns right. uh, these homes. Is that also kind of top of uh, top of mind for y'all? Yeah, top, definitely very top of mind. You know, the corporate real estate lobby is very, very powerful, unfortunately, in the state assembly, uh, state legislature in, in, as a total. And I, it's unfortunate that in this legislative session, we weren't able to pass some of the big items we were pushing for. And to build upon that topic we were just talking about, about uh, over-commodification, especially even single-family homes, Assembly Member Chris Ward and I of uh, San Diego, we actually were championing a speculative tax on uh, essentially these corporations that buy up single-family homes or sit on them or even flip them. And that's a huge problem. And the 
same time, too, uh, my colleagues here and I, we worked on the LSAC reform, which is a way in which corporate speculators flip apartment buildings. Right here in San Francisco, they buy up rent-controlled buildings, kick everyone out, and turn each of them into market-rate condominiums. And that doesn't create a single new unit of housing. That just converts affordable housing into market-rate housing, which is very detrimental all the time like this. So we try a lot of things. And even the rental registry, which is similar to Wix of um, the East Bay also tried, all those bills, unfortunately, did not go as far as possible. But I think with caucuses like this and more organizing across the state, we'll be able to see more successes. I'm going to go to some comments in the phones. We've got two uh, kind of meaty comments about AB 1482. Uh, Jen writes, I'm a landlord in Northern California. This whole discussion is not balanced. doesn't include a discussion of what we landlords have experienced. Haney, Brian, and Lee should recognize and appreciate AB 1482, which Newsom signed. Bill gives all tenants renter protections from excessive rent increases and unjust evictions. Laws working, I'd like to see them discuss how this law is not working from their perspective since it's been in effect for three years. Second comment on AB 1482. Where is the recognition that California passed statewide rent control in 2019, which gives all renters equal protection from rent increases and evictions across the state? It went into effect in 2020, but we hit COVID, so we haven't seen how it's worked. Haney is wrong. Renters have strong eviction protections across the state, and the governor called this law the strongest renter protection law in the nation when he signed it. Let this law work. Assemblymember Haney. Sure, sure. Well, I, I appreciate that, and and uh, certainly we will hear all perspectives, and and including those from from landlords and others. I have to disagree on on a few points. You know, uh, 1482 is first of all a very important law. It doesn't cover all renters. It only covers uh, certain types of housing. Um, it it basically prevents against exorbitant rent increases, uh, which is very important and needed, as well as uh, pre- preventing unjust evictions uh, for those folks. But there was just a, a study picking up on your your prior question that because we don't have a rental registry, because we don't know how much folks are charging in rent, there's very little enforcement. And actually, there's been incredible amounts of uh, um, violation of, of this uh, law, meaning that people are still seeing huge rent increases uh, that violate this law. And there's really very little, a few ways for us to track that or ensure enforcement. So that's also one of the things that we need to look at, which is, we pass a law, it doesn't mean it's always being followed. There needs to be data available and accountability. The Turner Center uh, did a great study on this. But yes, we have some strong tenant protections, and I appreciate the, the support for that law. But certainly we have to make sure that the laws are followed and that people are yeah. truly protected. Well, and such a long history of that lack of enforcement, too, around the Fair Housing Act. You know, it took like 30 years to actually get even basic enforcement. still bad. Uh, let's go to the phones. Let's go to uh, Brooks in San Francisco. Welcome, Brooks. Hi, thank you so much for talking about this. Um, I I really would love, um, and especially um, Matt Henning, to to talk about this because it's a San Francisco issue. Um, Having the Board of Supervisors relook at the capital improvement pass-throughs that are allowed by landlords, um, my rent has increased beyond rent control at regular increases, almost 10% over the past two years. Um, I'm a solo parent, and this, this was a new landlord buying the building, and then being able to pass through you know, multiple costs. And these are, are basically, you know, there's a hearing, but this hearing is not geared towards tenants. Um, and every year I've had capital improvements. We're a small building, we're six, which is just over what, you know, is, is allowable. Um, and in reality, you know, landlords buy these buildings at a discount, like if it's a older building, and then they're allowed to pass through everything to tenants. And how is it even fair that tenants are actually, you know, paying for, something that improves the value of something that the landlord owns. Yeah. Has it become, I mean, just to, to ask the question, has it become a better place to live as a result of the improvement? No. 
Because, no, because other improvements aren't being done. So there's a hole in one of our hallways. Um, there's other improvements. And, in fact, what this does is it silences tenants' ability to have just regular routine maintenance done. I was charged for a faucet. That when, when the plumbing in the building was broken, I was then charged for a faucet. Mm. So what happens now is that it, it is you don't want to put in routine maintenance requests because, oh, that could be somehow coded as a pass-through. Even though it's not supposed to, it silences any ability to ask for just regular maintenance. Mm. Brooks, really good and, and interesting point. Um, so my member, Haney, I feel like this one has to go to you. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, and I think it's an experience, unfortunately, that many renters have, not only in San Francisco but across the state, where there are various ways in which their rent is increased uh, through different pass-throughs and measures. Even if the rent item itself isn't going up, there's a lot of add-ons and things, and the result is more and more being placed on the renter, uh, and they don't necessarily see the benefit of that. So that's something that I think we should be looking at both at the state and local level. You know, I'd also say that a part of the problem there is that uh, renters feel very vulnerable. They feel like if they speak up or say something to their landlord that they could be evicted. They might not know what their rights are. They might not have a strong rent board or a tenant's uh, union that they can go to. And so the, the vulnerability and insecurity that renters face at the same time as they feel like they're being treated unfairly and sometimes the laws are being violated uh, is also something that I think really needs to be addressed. Let's go to another call here. Uh, Paola in Berkeley. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Go ahead. Sure. Okay, great. So, um, so regarding 1482, um, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it provides rent increases of 5% plus CPI. So this year, uh, or renters are seeing 10% rent increases because the CPI went over, you know, mm-hmm. 6%, 7% in California. So talk about strong tenant protections. That is not. Berkeley has very strong rent control, and and it's one of the reasons why Costa Hawkins was implemented. I'm a rent board commissioner in the city of Berkeley, and I can attest that um, <clears throat> that uh, Berkeley's uh, rent stabilization law went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court found that the way the rent, the, the, the rent board calculates uh, rent increases uh, does provide a fair return on investment on business owners because ultimately owning rental housing is a business and many uh, owners see this as a business they don't see that their 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 tenants they see their tenants as way of of getting money for this business and unfortunately business um, tenants are usually the ones who come out of the wrong end of the stick mm-hmm. um or the wrong of the wrong end so um, um i just want to also mention that we have politicians uh, local politicians who don't want to expand tenant protection. As a matter of fact, in Alameda County, we have an uh, unincorporated area that is the size of Berkeley with a population of Berkeley, yet with none of the protections of mm-hmm. Berkeley. And we have supervisors there who do not want to give rent stabilization to tenants because somehow this is going to impact uh, the business owners. Um, remember, this is an in state of California regulates many industries, car wash, uh, construction, agriculture, industries where there is imbalance of power. And when we look at the business of rental housing, there is an imbalance of power. State law yeah. gives more power to the business owner than it gives to the uh, consumer, which is the tenant. 
Thank you. And thank- the way to the Trenchers Caucus. I hope you do great things. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. I want to ask you, Assemblymember Lee, to, you know, there there is an argument that you hear from, from landlords. It's kind of the other side of, of Paul's argument that um, we have a housing crisis. The more sort of restrictions we place on landlords, um, the less rental housing we may have, right? I mean, this is kind of an, an argument that's that's made. Um, how do you see that that playing out? And is there a truth to that side of things? The laws in which we seek for system change are not geared towards the many mom and pop landlords and property owners in my district or many of our districts. They're geared against the multi billion or million, well, probably billion dollar portfolios of corporate real estate interests. They are the same interests that buy out smaller landlords, that outcompete small landlords, that make it hard for good, true small landlords who want to do right by their tenants and provide some housing to their community members. I know a lot of great small landlords like this, but the fact of people who buy up properties and flip them is not the small landlords, unfortunately. They don't have the, they don't have the financial portfolio, they don't have the means to do so. And yes, AB 1482 is the strongest in the country. It is the strongest rental protection in the country, but it is a low bar. There are other states in this union that you can be denied housing simply because you are LGBTQ. You know, this is a very low bar. And even in New York, our sister state with very strong renter population, they were unable to do just cause and unable to do the things that we have done in California, unfortunately. But just as Paula had mentioned right now, there are people across the state right now that have their rent increase 10% or more, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And no one's wages, most people's wages, I should say, in California do not increase that quickly. And that is a huge imbalance we must recognize. And yes, while we have done good and we have done well by the national standard, we must do a lot more to protect Californians because that's the reality of why so many people are ending up on the street. It's because we're not doing enough. Yeah. Uh, somebody remember, Brian, um, different uh, tack here, art rights. Thank you for mentioning the mentioning the adverse role of private equity. Flip that concept and think of the role government, for example, uh, could play. Could California pass a law that enables and funds to some degree municipalities acquiring homes to make them available at more reasonable rent to its citizens? The market will never solve the housing problem. There's got to be a rule for the government. What could it be? Um, it seems to be kind of gesturing at uh, community land trusts, perhaps, but you know, backed by the government or something. Are there things that you're thinking about along those lines or just, I mean... Basic public housing, too. It's a version of that, right. too. Yeah. Uh, basic public housing, maybe some social housing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think there's definitely a role for the government government to play. I mean, we're, we're currently playing a role in this process, right? There were 71,000 calls to the LAPD uh, over a course of four years that had to deal with landlord-tenant disputes, right? That's the government getting involved. Um, a lot of these cases go to, go to court. 95% of landlords have legal representation, only 10% of tenants, right? That's the government tipping the scale again, right? So we've got to be mindful of the role that we're currently playing and how we're exacerbating the problem for those who are most impacted uh, by severe rent burden. Um, Your rent going up 10% in a year, like Assemblymember Lee mentioned, wages do not keep up that fast. And so the government's Mm -hmm. got to do a role uh, in in curbing that back. As we mentioned, there were some gaps in the bill uh, that we talked about. 1482, buildings less than 15 years old are not covered. Single-family homes are not covered. A duplex with the landlord living in one of the units is not covered. It did cover 8 million new renters, but there are still a lot of folks falling through the cracks. And if you have to step back and realize those 8 million renters weren't covered before that, 
right? And the same opposition to going further was opposition to that legislation, mm-hmm. although they would use it now as justification for why we don't need to go further. Um, there's clearly a role for the government in this process, both on the supply side and on the regulatory side. But I don't think it has to be adversarial, even with large corporate interests, right? Unless they're willing to, like uplifting tenants and the most vulnerable is the mission. And for that to be adversarial, you'd have to admit that what you're doing adversely impacts the most vulnerable in our community, right? And so if, if that's the honest conversation we're willing to have, then I think this caucus is willing to take that on. Yeah, I, I, you know, I w- wanted to add that a few things. You know, one is uh, uh, in terms of uh, the government's role, there's, there's no doubt that the private sector can't do this alone. Right, right now, if you are making minimum wage in California, $15 an hour, you have to work over 100 hours a week to afford a two-bedroom. Uh, in order, when you have that kind of imbalance in terms of what people are making and what they can afford, uh, we need a, a massive government uh, intervention uh, to build public housing. You know, the federal government has basically withdrawn its role uh, in that, and so the state of California and Alex Lee is is leading on this uh, on social housing. Um, and, you know, and so and, and also we need to see a lot more private sector housing built as well. And I think that's something that we also advocate for. You know, too often there's a conversation that by building more rental housing that somehow you're bringing down the costs or hurting the homeowners. Uh, We also want to stand up against that. Uh, We are apartment people here. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with more apartment people in your communities. Uh, About half of Californians are apartment people and it's okay. And uh, and we actually need a lot more apartments. Just want to know, too, some member Brian, that you had uh, been working on the ultra low income category uh, for people, you know, just to be able to make sure we're capturing data on people who have zero to 15 percent, right? Of uh, Yeah, but areas median income, which in L.A. County, that's $17,000 a year or less. And there's 180,000 households that live in that category who are this close to falling into being unhoused. Hard to imagine the private market's going to serve them. We're talking about a new renter's caucus in the California State Assembly with Assembly members Haney, Brian, and Lee. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are joined by the three members of the new Renters Caucus in the California State Assembly. Assemblymember Isaac Bryan from Los Angeles, Assemblymember Matt Haney from San Francisco, and Assemblymember Alex Lee from kind of the South Bay, Santa Clara, Milpitas, Eastern San Jose. Uh, we are going to go back to the phones here. Let's bring in a mom-pop landlord, Donald in Berkeley. Welcome. 
Hi, thanks for the opportunity. Just wanted to share some perspective. I was a renter in 50, for 15 years in San Francisco before I was finally able to buy a TIC, and now I own a home Tenant with two rental right? units yeah. in the back. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And your panelists, apart from being pretty unbalanced, uh, they're not acknowledging some fundamental facts that I've seen in my 25 years in the Bay Area. Rent control is currently implemented is just a very blunt instrument, and it's not accomplishing a lot of its goals. I personally know of three instances where tenants have retained their old apartments despite the fact that they own homes elsewhere because they want a place in the city or in Berkeley. There needs to be a need-based element to rent control to accomplish its objective of achieving affordable housing. And then some other key points are, at least in Berkeley, there's virtually no ability to recoup the cost of improvements that you make to your rental units. And as a result, if you look at Berkeley's rent control units, they are in horribly poor condition because there's no market incentive for the landlord to improve them. And the reality is that if these measures of like eliminating cost of Hawkins or the Ellis Act go through, I can personally tell you that a lot of small mom and pop landlords who are already getting very minimal rents because they have tenants that have been in there for over a decade, we are just going to evict our tenants, which we don't want to do, to avoid having our property effectively appropriated from us for eternity. And that's not going to help the situation. So I think I love these efforts that are being discussed, but they need to be approached in an intelligent way that looks at the failures of rent control so that we can actually get back to its original purpose of providing affordable housing, but not doing so on the backs of people that you're forcing like me to just subsidize a statewide problem in ways that are just untenable and are going to force us to take actions that we don't want to take but we'll have no other choice to protect our own investments if they move forward with these extreme measures to eliminate the protections, we, the minimal ones we do have currently. Donald in Berkeley, thank you for that. Uh, sounds like the, the main objections are rent control as a blunt instrument. Uh, there's not a need-based element, uh, at least in Berkeley. No ability to recoup Im- improvements to property, so things start to uh, degenerate there. Uh, Sam writes... Uh, another listener, the burdens of rent control in Berkeley have driven a lot of rental housing from mom and pop retiree owners to greedy out of town corporate owners. Ironically, this has driven up rents and decreased the flexibility in tenant landlord relations. Is there some way to employ rent control that doesn't raise rent or because things have gotten worse, should we get rid of rent control altogether? Berkeley should be a warning that policies might sound good, but have the opposite effect. So maybe let's uh, take the first one, Assemblymember Lee, on sort of how rent control should work. That seems to really be the, the broader question here. It's like, how should this be structured to sort of get maximum social benefit while not placing an undue burden on mom-pop landlords. Yeah, rent control is an important piece of the puzzle in solving the housing crisis. Certainly, we cannot end the housing crisis with rent control alone, nor can we um, solve the housing crisis with just production alone. It is a syst- ecosystem which we produce enough opportunity for everyone, but also make sure everyone is able to afford and keep their homes. That is the important part, to stay in their homes. And I understand some of the frustration with uh, small landlords and folks who have to navigate the system. And again, it's because without proper data and without understanding how to enforce these laws accurately, we are only designing, we're designing these laws with the intention of the worst biggest corporate actors in mind. And that sometimes uh, is also complicated by the fact that our um, rent stabilization uh, laws are also kind of a patchwork. They are a patchwork of compromise, where as a similar um, 
Isaac Bryan just talked about is because of Casa Hawkins, it doesn't apply universally to all landlords. It doesn't apply universally to all tenants uh, in the same way. And if you have that kind of patchwork in which jurisdictions are limited by state law, what they can do, and state law limits what other actors can do, it makes it a very confusing system. And that's what I want to seek uh, in uniformity, and I would hopefully our caucus will seek in uniformity, is if we are able to restore local control by repealing Casa Hawkins, then we can have a more uniform system of, of understanding of how to enforce these regulations, also to have more uniform uh, implementation of rent civilization or and rent um, renter protections across the state. Because as long as we have this patchwork system and without understanding the types of renters and landlords that exist out there, it becomes very frustrating for all parties involved. Yeah. You know, Assemblymember Brian, you know, we're hearing about our current system was built from compromise. Certainly there's going to be compromise here as well. Um, one of those, you know, prospective compromises might be introducing more means testing into some of these uh, programs, or, or or changing them in some ways. What are the policies you could see compromising on in order to advance some of your other goals? I don't know that I'm into compromising the same day that we launched the Renters Caucus. Um, it's kind of not how I how I play ball. Um, but I do recognize the need for compromise, right, and to bring folks to the table, particularly mom-and-pop landlords. The, the greatest landlords I've ever had have been mom-and-pop landlords, right? We got to know each other as people and share humanity and kind of go through the struggles of the economy together, right? And so this one size fits all, I definitely hear that struggle and I hear that pushback. The problem is, is when you start making concessions, um, mom and pop landlords often get co-opted by the largest, worst actors, as Assemblymember Lee mentioned. And then they're moving in solidarity instead of finding that that sweet spot that protects uh, their livelihood and allows them uh, to continue to thrive and continue to serve tenants uh, in a thoughtful, honest, healthy way. Um, that's that's the dichotomy that we're trying to to be mindful of how we navigate it, right? How do we set the kind of protections that protect the people who are most vulnerable to losing the roof over their head uh, without uh, demonizing or ostracizing uh, the mom and pop landlords who have invested in a property or two as largely a retirement income and in many instances live in these uh, places themselves. And so there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of conversations to be had. I'm grateful to to Chair Haney because he's the kind of, of leader who I know is going to sit at all of those tables, hear everything, the good, the bad, and then collectively we'll all talk about how we can best move forward together. <laughs> we have a uh, lot of renter stories coming in, which I, I'm going to do in like a little short block here, and then we'll get back to the phones. I mean, uh, Belinda writes, as a long-term renter at age 60, I'm so encouraged by the formation of this caucus. In California, we have wildly differing protections for renters. I have much better protections in Oakland than my sister in Santa Barbara. She's living in constant anxiety and constant searching because her rental unit has been sold, and there's literally nothing to rent in her town. And there are no protections or provisions for her to stay while she seeks new living accommodations. If I saw anyone running for office highlighting they're part of a caucus or working on behalf of renters, I would vote for them. Allison writes, I'm a renter in Oakland and have been in, my, been in my building for about 10 years as a single mom in my mid-30s. Our building is constantly struggling with issues. Our water system backs up. We have thin windows and poor insulation. Ineffective heating systems and our laundry machines are consistently broken. My apartment is rent controlled and I couldn't afford to move and keep my son's life mostly stable. I worry about complaining too much out of fear of being evicted unjustly. I'd also love to own some property someday, but saving towards that goal seems close to impossible in the Bay Area where I'm from and call home. 
Last renter story, Deborah writes, My husband and I were recently given 60 days to leave our apartment. Even though we paid regularly and took good care of the apartment, we think the owner wanted to sell it, but that was not the reason given. We were able to scramble and find a condo we could purchase with help from my employer. If I were a low-income renter and had kids, I would have been nearly hysterical, especially considering that I would want to keep my kids in the same schools. What can be done about this unfair situation? Uh, and let's take another uh, story here on the phone. It's Liz in San Leandro. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Um, I'm a homeowner, not a, a landowner uh, as far as a renter. I, I'm just so frustrated by this. I have two kids. My family's been in the Bay Area for five generations. This is the worst I've ever seen it. Uh, both my kids are first responders. Um, my son is a wildland firefighter who was injured on the last fire. Um, and my daughter also worked, at, I don't want to say where, but on the suicide hotline. They do not make the wage. They do not make the wage, first responders, to live in the Bay Area. And their rent, my, my son is stressed out. His rent may go up in Alameda County. Um Look into what ambulance drivers make. Look into what first responders make in the Bay Area. Do you want them commuting from outside the Bay Area into the Bay Area? I mean, these jobs are exhausting, and they serve the public, and they are so important. Mm -hmm. The suicide hotline has individuals calling up because they can't pay their rent. They're going to be out on the street. I think people really need to look at what first responders put up with and then having the rent, having not knowing if they're going to find another place and having to commute hours away into the Bay Area to do their job is ridiculous and impossible. And I think Hmm. this is the worst I've ever seen it in the Bay Area, you know, living in Alameda County. I think landlords, I understand that they have a problem, but a lot of corporations have moved in and swallowed up property. And also, I want to say that low-income housing is a joke. Mm -hmm. So I am so angry. I mean, as I'm just really angry at the way people are treated. Yeah. And that's why we have all this, we have all this homelessness. Mm Mm-hmm. Liz, thank you so much for uh, for that perspective. And you know, Assemblymember Haney, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this one to you because sure. you know one of the things that Liz is really pointing out here is just the price of housing is so high, whether you're buying or renting, that for many jobs, it just mm-hmm. it doesn't pencil out to to live here. And so, what's the role of a renters caucus in driving mm-hmm. that discussion forward of how you bring down the price of any kind of housing? Sure, and thank you, Liz, for calling in, and thank you for the work that uh, your kids are doing and your advocacy for them. I think what she's also reflecting is that this is uh, something and a problem that impacts all of us. It's not just impacting uh, renters. It's impacting uh, parents and grandparents who are worried about their kids being able to uh, afford to live uh, where they grew up, afford to live where they work. Uh, This is a huge issue in the Bay Area where people are living further and further away from where they work because they can't afford it. Uh, It it hurts us on climate change because people are having to drive further distances. It obviously 
adds to homelessness if people are evicted and put out onto the street. So there's huge in- interconnections but on this issue and so many others. And I think for us as the Renters Caucus, it's not just about eviction protections. It's not just about tenant landlords and all of that, which is which is we're going to talk about. Uh, but it's also about making sure that people make enough uh, to be able to afford housing. Housing is a human right. Everyone needs it. Uh, and it's also about building more housing and bringing down the cost of housing by incre- increasing the supply of all types of housing, but especially affordable housing. And so as the Renters Caucus, we're going to talk about protections, but we're also going to have to talk about uh, the supply and making sure that we uh, address those constraints that exist right now in far too many places in California that make it impossible to build new housing and to build new affordable housing. Uh, the Renters Caucus is going to have to speak out on that too. Yeah, we've got a uh, comment. We'll see who wants to take this one. Kate writes, "I'm in total agreement with tenant rights." However, like anything, a policy can go too far. My brother and I inherited a single-family home in San Francisco when our mother died earlier this year. We had rented it out two years ago to have the money to pay for her assisted living. Now we find out that we have no right to sell the property unless the tenants agree to a buyout. The tenants have sublet a room in the basement, which is not a legal living space. What can we do about this? Nothing. The tenants are not responding to the buyout offer. We're having to, we are having to sell the property with them in it, which greatly lowers what we can sell the house for. Um, question here, uh, Assemblymember Haney, maybe I'm going to stick with you on this one. Is is that the laws working as intended? Is that you know how how it's supposed to work? That their tenants are there, they can't sell. Like how how would you respond to Kate's story? Which particular law? Sorry. Oh well, I don't know. They're just that she's saying they can't uh, sell the property unless the tenants agree to a buyout. That kind of protection. So, you know, again, I, I, I think that uh, we have to look at these things different when it comes to mom and pop landlords and big speculators. Uh, one of the things that we're seeing is uh, speculators will buy housing just to evict the tenants and sell it, often eliminating uh, limited uh, supply of rent control housing. Um, that's the problem that these laws need to address. Uh, you know, but at the same time, if somebody has lived in housing, uh, paid their rent for many, many years, uh, they shouldn't just be put out on the street. Uh, there has to be some support given to that tenant uh, to be able to then uh, evict them and sell the housing or take it off the market. And so these protections do exist in some localities, including in San Francisco. I think they're important ones, uh, but they cover very little. Even if you're, if you're quote unquote, bought out uh, and, and removed from your housing as a tenant, uh, you may be given enough just to afford a month or two of, ho- of rent moving forward. So uh, with all of this, you know, we have to look at mom and pop differently than we do uh, big landlords. But we also have to recognize that when somebody is evicted, uh, they need to be given the support so that they don't just end up on the street because we're going to end up support, supporting them there one way or another. Mm-hmm. Let's try and squeeze in one last call. Gabriel in Berkeley. Welcome. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to address uh, a couple of points a previous caller had made around um, uh, what he said was forcing him to evict his tenants. First, I want to just thank the uh, lawmakers on the show for forming the attendance, the housing caucus. I'm very excited about this. Uh, but uh, to address the points from the previous landlord who called in, the framing that he gave is a, presents a false choice. He said something along the lines of, if these laws are passed, it will force me to uh, to evict my tenants. Well, that, that's a really dangerous false choice. And to me, it sounds somewhat like extortion. Um, he's saying, if I don't 
make the returns that I made on this investment, which I took a risk on. I, I invested, and that's a good thing. We want people to invest, and, and investments are inherently risky. But if I don't make the returns that I made, I'm going to be forced to kick someone out. And you know what? If they become houseless, then that's not my problem. Well, <laughs> frankly, I don't want to live in a society where that's how we treat people. Um, and housing is not the same as a stock or a bond. Um, it's provides literally a, a roof over someone's head. So um, I, I don't accept the false choice that landlord presented. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, no compromise ever, but uh, as a renter, I, I find that incredibly dangerous and um, upsetting, frankly. Yeah. Thank you for that perspective, Gabriel. I, I mean, Assembly Member Lee, I'm going to toss uh, Gabriel's call and one last comment in here. Because uh, they are related. Catherine writes, very excited to hear about the Renner's Caucus. Unfortunately, home ownership is now all about investment, which has only served to deepen the wealth gap. It's a deeply inequitable system that only exacerbates the historic economic and racial imbalance. I think we need to reexamine how California is subsidizing property owners through tax breaks and overturn Prop 13. <laughs> Just a small thing of overturning Prop 13. Yeah. Um, as some remember, Lee, I mean, this is one of the crucial tensions in our housing system, right, is that people do use their homes as, as investments. I mean, that is the way the system was built. Um, what do you, what, what do you, for your final words here, uh, how do you want to change that system? Well, housing insecurity and housing inaffordability is the way in which every Californian experiences inequality right now. And especially if you are aspiring to be a homeowner or you're a homeowner right now, I understand that obviously you put a lot of money to overcome that barrier. You have to have the right credit score. You have to put down an enormous amount of down payment. And now you're paying a lot of property tax because the value is so inflated. And that's because of the policies that led us to this moment. Mm-hmm. And something, you know, some of our callers talked about is it, it you know, talk about fairness of our, our laws, our tenancy laws. Is it fair that tenants across this country can be subject to 200% rent increases month by month or year by year on their, mm-hmm. on their change their leases or when the lease is up again. Is that fair? And is it fair that a homeowner, though, by law, is protected on a 30-year time window of a very fixed mortgage plus interest rate? Is that fair? That, in a sense, is a rent control. It's a cost control, right? <laughs> yeah. But because we have normalized that homeownership is the public policy of this country, and we can do the same thing when it comes to mm-hmm. rent uh, renters as well. So yeah. we put a lot of policies together and make sure everyone has equal opportunity to house. Mm-hmm. It's a good place to end it. We've been talking about a new renters caucus in the California State Assembly with Assembly members Matt Haney, Isaac Bryan, and Alex Lee. Thanks so much to you all. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Thank you for joining us. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with guest host Marisa Lagos. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.